Well, good morning, family. It's wonderful to be able to be back with you. And uh, hey, uh, kids, make sure you get back there quickly and get those clipboards. Otherwise, all the adults are going to take them. And they're still not grabbing them. All right. Isn't the power of music something? Perhaps this morning you came in excited about the week that's been and being able to celebrate the wonderful birth of our Savior, and then things begin to cloud that wonderful vision of the greatness of our God, and we begin to begin to lose a bit of our our joy in the season. We hit that every week, don't we? Things come up, things cloud our vision of the greatness of our God, and somehow music tends to bring us back. Music can be something that can lift the soul, can cheer the heart. Studies have shown that music is a a wonderful tool to encourage the weak. Those that are going through depression and so forth can find themselves listening to music and find their spirits lifted. Music is a wonderful gift from our God. And He uses it in wonderful ways. And I think we are all familiar with the the command as a Christian that we are to sing. What we want to do this morning is investigate Psalm 33 to see that there is something to sing about. Because while it is true that we are told in Ephesians 5.19 that we are to be singing and making melody with our heart to the Lord, sometimes, sometimes we find that a bit difficult. And oftentimes, I know for my personal experience, we come into church and we go through a worship service and we find ourselves with our heart beginning to lift, beginning to rejoice just a touch as we sing some songs. So we want to investigate that today and take some minutes to consider what we have to sing about so that as we enter into a new year, perhaps afresh, we will commit ourselves to singing for our Lord. So we're going to look at Psalm 33. I'd invite you to open to Psalm 33 if you haven't already. To look at it with me. To see how we can be motivated to worship. Worship in song. Worship in our praise. How it is that we can come to this place of awe about our God that causes us to lift our voice in song. You know, in Psalm, in Acts 2, we read that the early church, as they just began, in verse 43, we find that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. I think it was R, if something like that here in New Zealand, but I think it's awe. There's no R in it, in case you are not aware of that. For those of you that have been around me a while, you know my sense of humor. But everybody was having this sense of awe. And as that happened in the early church, it produced something. It produced an ability to look beyond the circumstance and to lift praise to God. We want to be like that. We want to be the kind of people who can can have something to sing about and to be able to lift our praise to God. And so what we're going to find in Psalm 33 
is that we can praise God because He is worthy of praise. What we're going to see is that when we understand the worthiness of our God, when we understand how great our God is to be praised, that enables us to understand what we have to sing about. So we're going to look at three great truths. Three that will propel us to praise and worship. Three great truths. And we're going to look at that specific truths which propel our worship after we consider an introduction to this psalm. You'll notice the psalm introduces itself to us with a requirement or a call to praise. A call to praise is laid out for us in verses 1-3 to and it serves as an introduction for us so that we can then dive into some of these reasons to have praise. We read with me as I read aloud. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Notice, it initially starts with a command. You are to do this. You are to sing. This is to be what rises from us. Is to sing, notice, for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Well, clearly from this introduction, we all notice that we are called on to be able to lift praise to God, to sing. We are to do that with joy. It's to have a jubilant exaltation of our God. We are to do that with praises, with new song that we are given by our great God as He reveals truth to us through His Word. We are to sing. And we are to play if we have the, uh, the ability to play an instrument. We are to play, notice verse 3 says, skillfully. We are to give ourselves to using those instruments God has allowed us to create. To use it to bring praise back to our God. So we are to play if we play some instrument with thanksgiving, with praise, and with skill. But we noticed in verse 1 that we are to sing for joy. Our praise is to be marked by joy. That ought to characterize all that we do because it is when we recognize who our God is that we begin to find ourselves having greater joy which lifts itself in praise to God. But do you notice in verse 2? That you are to give thanks as well. We are to have our praise be with, with thanksgiving, with joy, because of who God is. And because we can thank Him for what He has done. And perhaps, maybe today, this, this rings in your ears as what is it that I have to give thanks for? Perhaps this has been the hardest of Christmases ever. I know I was on the phone a few days ago with a dear friend back in the States who lost her husband on Christmas Day last year. 
It was a hard Christmas for her. The man that she loved and they spent life together, home to be with the Lord, here she is, suffering with cancer herself. And what is it that she would find that she would be able to fulfill this psalm, to lift praise to God with joy and with thanksgiving? Perhaps not her circumstance, although she could find things in her circumstance. But certainly, when she reflects on the greatness of our God, she will find things to give thanks for. One other little thing in this introduction which stands out as it is there, it is that we are to lift our voice strongly. Perhaps you can't play an instrument like me. You have no hope. And I'm really thankful when I'm even in key with my voice. But all of us ought to have those moments of time where when we recognize the greatness of our God and we give thanks to our God for who He is, with joy, we bring volume to our worship. Thank God for some of you this morning that were willing to do that. It was wonderful. The closer you get in this church, the more you will hear. I encourage you to fill the front pews. Because it is wonderful to hear the praise of God's people. Because it encourages me and it encourages you in those times where you're suffering, you're struggling to find anything to praise God about. Well, with that as, a thing, as an introduction, we're then propelled into the meat of this wonderful psalm in which the psalmist is focused is to say, yes, you are to give praise. You are to sing to God. You're to use your voice. Use your ability on instruments. Use it all to bring great praise to our God. But why? Many of us would have had that question in our hearts and in our minds in even recent days. Yes, I know that the Scripture says I'm to praise God. I know that it tells me that there ought to be this thanksgiving within me. Give me some reason. I mean, isn't it always better when you know the reason that you ought to do something? Because if you're just commanded to do it and it's just left at that level, you push your way through it, but perhaps it's a little difficult. Kids, maybe this is for you. You know how hard it is sometimes to obey your parents when all they tell you is, got to do it. Maybe that was someplace on your body. But <laughs> and I trust it's in that meaty part in the backside of your body. But not in this culture, I know. We're getting ourselves in trouble here. So let's move on. But as a child, as your parent told you, you have to do this. When they were able to help you to understand why it was important, Suddenly you began to see, not only is it right to do, but there's good reason to do it. And God in His graciousness gives us three great reasons to be able to praise Him right here in Psalm 33. The first is there in verses 4-9. to Follow along as I read. For, this is why, this is why you can praise, it's because... The word of the Lord is upright 
And all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The first reason that the psalmist gives us to be able to praise God is because of God's Word. God's Word. And the verses 4 and 5 serve as a little introduction to this section. Because in verse 4 and 5, he kind of gives us an outline of where he's going to go for these three reasons. And he does it in a little capsulized form and begins it with that word for, which tells you why you can praise God. And it's because the word of the Lord, notice, is upright. It is righteous altogether. It is that which is true, that which is perfect, that which is given to man to understand who God is and what He would call upon us to respond to Him with. And notice verse 4 then continues that all His work is done in faithfulness. God is always faithful. Some of us struggle in that, right? Young people, maybe you haven't come into the struggles of life yet. Maybe life is so exciting and there's so much that you anticipate Life is going to come up against you at some point. And it's going to smack you. And you're going to go, oh, hang on. What is this? And maybe in those moments, you'll begin to question the faithfulness of God. Why would God have this horrible situation in my life? Why would He allow this? My dear friends, God is always faithful. And He is always upright. And all that He does, notice verse 5, comes out of His righteousness and justice. Verse 5 then goes on to tell you about something of a chesed, a, a, a covenant love of God. God has covenanted to love His people. God works out of His loving Kindness and that loving kindness of our God, the earth is full with that loving kindness. So, with that as an introduction, you are now propelled into thinking further about this word of God. This word which God has spoken, which gives us reason to praise. Notice verse 6. It is that Word which created all that is. Imagine it. Imagine having the ability to merely speak and it comes into being. That's our God. Our God spoke and the heavens were made. Can you imagine? I, the, the, uh, the modern hymn writers, Keith and Kristen Getty, sat down and considered about the greatness of God's creation in the heavens. And they said it this way. They said, consider the stars. 
Consider the stars in the sky. Look up and wonder. Can you count their number? Consider the stars in the sky. When it is darkest, they shine out the brightest. Consider the stars in the sky. In every anguish, O child, take courage. He who made all of this and who holds all of this holds you in His hands. Do not be afraid. No, do not be afraid. He who made all of this says, you're worth more than all of this. And He holds you in His hands. This is our God. This is our Creator. The One who can speak and bring it all into being. But notice, it's not only about the heavens. He speaks in verse 7 about the waters of the sea. He spoke and the waters of the sea were made as well. And He put them into the deeps as well. Did He not? I have no idea where my slides go, so we'll go. Okay. So think about the oceans with me for a minute. Not only can you look up and see God, but you can look out at that ocean and thank God that you live in a place where you can see the ocean within two hours, no matter where you are in this great country. And you can go, and you can look out, and you can realize, I cannot see the other side of this sea. How great, how vast is that ocean. And He who made the heavens spoke them into being as well and put them together as a heap. Reminds me, Jeremiah. You remember Jeremiah is addressing a rebellious people. And as God speaks through Jeremiah, he said in Jeremiah 5, verse 21 through 4 Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not. Do you not fear me? declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before Me? I placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people, referring to the nation that He had a covenant love with, His loving kindness towards the people Israel. This people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They've turned aside and gone away. They do not say in their hearts, let us fear the Lord. How different are you? How different am I from those people who would fear not the One who could speak and bring it all into being. Friend, you might come in here this morning having gone through the Christmas season and been reminded that there was the birth of a Savior 2,000 years ago. And you might be wondering, tell me a little bit of how this Savior affects me. Perhaps this is you that I just read of. One who would not fear the One 
who can create all things. Friend, today, today, you are here by divine appointment. And if God is speaking into your heart, don't be like those rebellious people who spurned their God and wandered a desert for 40 years, who then came into a land and spurned their God again, who repeatedly time and time again saw the judging hand of God because of their unfaithfulness. And yet God's covenant love was there for them. And my friend, God's love is there for you too. What it takes is accepting the gift of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because He not only was born, but He died a sinless man. And not just a man, but the God-man. So that He could pay the price for your sin. Because you will pay the price for your sin unless you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, today, if you hear God's voice no longer walk as one who would spurn the greatness of your God. But fear the Lord. This is a wonderful psalm just opening up for us this, this chance to take a step back from the day-to-days of life and to see these great reasons to praise God. For God has spoken and all has come into being. He uses His Word. And secondly, I want you to notice in verses 10-12, to that He also gives us reason to praise Him through the revelation of His will. The way that He works things out. Look at it in verse 10. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. And the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Have you not seen this? You name for me the number of nations that have survived more than a thousand years. And yet we, as people, we go through day to day somehow thinking that we can spurn God and we can do what we want to do and somehow it's all going to work out. Friend, God nullifies the counsel of the wisest within any country. Do you think that somehow your understanding of life is not going to be nullified by the great God? If you somehow spurn Him and walk away from Him and don't pay attention to Him and don't submit your life to His wonderful will? Friend, let me think about this with you for just a moment. Because if He is the one who has the sovereignty over all, He is the one that will work out His plan, not yours. And that's why it is the counsel of the Lord, verse 11, which stands forever. It is His plans which go from generation to generation. Can you see the contrast? You have this opportunity to be the kind of people who worship God, who bring Him great praise from day to day. Or you can spurn God. You can go against His counsel. You can think that somehow your plans are what's going to make it happen. 
But God's counsel will stand. Look at history. And so it is that it is those who submit themselves to the wondrous God of all who are the blessed ones. Here, He is addressing a nation. And we, by application, take that into an application for those of us who know Christ today. But as He said it in verse 12, it was to the nation that He was working specifically with. And He said that that nation is blessed whose God is the Lord. Those who willingly and humbly submit themselves under the wondrous counsel of God. Those are the people whom God has chosen for His own inheritance. Those are the ones who, who wonderfully accept the revelation of God's will within their life. I mean, think about the state of the world today. Is it not abundantly apparent that man's plans fail? But it is the counsel of the Lord that stands. You will remember Proverbs 16.9 tells us that it is the heart of each one of us. It is our heart that plans our way. But what? But the Lord establishes our steps. The people in old times, way back Genesis 11, wanted to build a tower to show their greatness and to try to reach the heavens as though they could live as their own God. And what happened? God stepped in and confused the language of all that were there trying to build the Tower of Babel. And they separated and filled the earth. Friends, it is the counsel of the Lord that will stand. And that when you submit to it, causes you to have great reason to praise God. Because He has told you His will in His Word, and you recognize that whatever is going on, God is at work. And so I have great reason to praise my God. But that leads us then to the third. And that is, God not only gives us reason to praise Him through His Word, And secondly, through His will. But thirdly, through His way or His work. This is His his providential working out in the affairs of our lives. And He expresses it in a wonderful way which brings us to, to recognize His ability to know all things, to be everywhere, and to have all the power necessary to do all things. Let's look at it. It's verse 13 to 19. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. And from His dwelling place, He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. He who understands all their works. King is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive 
in famine. God's work, that God's providential way of working in this life, we see first in verses 13 to 15 in his theological term, omniscience. That is, his knowing of all things. It is the Lord who can look from heaven and see all of us at once. It is He alone who in His dwelling place can look out on all the inhabitants of the earth. And it is He alone who has fashioned the hearts of every one of them. You see, God can look out on all of us and know the thought and intent of each one of our heart at this moment because He's the one who has made us. And He in eternity past determined all that would come about in my life. And it is He who is at work through all of that. Notice how He brings that home in verse 15. He who is the one who gives above all and has created all, He has fashioned the hearts of us all, He's the one who understands our works. He knows if I'm doing this for ill purpose, for my own gain, am I doing this to bring glory to my great God and Savior? He is the one who knows all things. Now, having set us up here in this psalm so that we consider the way of the Lord with this beginning, that He knows all things, notice the second piece of the puzzle. The second piece there in verse 16, that God not only knows all things and understands all our works, but it is that the king then is not saved by a mighty army. Is this not the way that the normal nation would go about things? They would think, okay, there may be a God in heaven and we need to acknowledge that God, but if we're going to conquer somebody, we better have a good army. We've got to have the stronger army, the greater army in numbers, so that we can go up against our foe and defeat them. And so, as a king, you set out to establish your army to be the strongest, to be the best, to be the largest. And you head out to battle expecting that because I've got the best horses, I've got the best uh, army, and, and I have the best weapons, victory is mine. Verse 17, a horse is a false hope for victory does not deliver anyone by its great strength. It's not about the horse. It's not about your army. It's not about your ability. It's about the Lord's will. And is He the one who is going to bring this to pass? And how is He at work in those circumstances of life? Because it is He that saves. It is He that delivers. Because He alone is the one with all power. Second theological term, He is omnipotent. He is the one who has all the strength and the ability to choose whether you will be delivered from your circumstance or not. 
Will you be delivered from the pain of whatever that ailment is? Will you be delivered from the suffering that you've had to go through due to to wayward children? Will you be one who is delivered from whatever the trouble of trial of life is? God and God alone is the one who determines that. And so we come back to our great God and we bring praise to Him because it is His work that is getting carried out. So we see that He knows all things and He has all the strength, but maybe I'm outside of His presence, we say. I mean, it's great that God could know all things and and have all the strength to be able to do that which concerns me, but maybe, maybe He's just not paying attention to me. Look at verse 18. Behold, stand amazed. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope for His loving kindness. Friend, you're not outside of the gaze of God. But you, if you choose to submit your life to God, are the recipient of His constant care and loving kindness. And notice verse 19 tells you why. He does that in order to deliver your soul from death and to keep you alive in famine. You think that somehow God doesn't know that there would be, let's take the circumstance referred to here, God God didn't know there was a famine in the land. He knew there was a famine in the land and He allowed the famine in the land. But is that famine something that's beyond God's control to keep you alive through? No. No. He has the full control. He knows that it's happening. And He has all the power and all the knowledge in order to deliver you. And to keep you alive if that is His choice. Or, what if you're facing the situation like Paul would have faced? The Apostle Paul going through a beating, thrown in prison, getting on a shipwreck, Or what about Jonah being swallowed by a whale because of his disobedience? Perhaps this is the end of Jonah. Oh no. No, this is not the end. It wasn't the end for Paul. It wasn't the end for Jonah because God chose when their end would be and His eye was on each of them to deliver their soul from death. And the question you've got to answer is His eye on you To deliver your soul from death? Has He brought you to the place that you know for certain that if you were to die today, you will spend eternity praising Him because He has delivered your soul? Well, God works in wondrous ways and He has the ability and He alone has the ability to do so. And this wonderful section, the heart and, and, and flesh, if you will, of this great psalm, giving us these three reasons to praise our great God. I want to I just kind of wrap our thoughts of that around another hymn. Because it is Walter Chalmers uh, Smith who I think capsulizes very well 
the intent or the thoughts of this psalm. He did it in reflection upon First uh, Timothy 1.17, which tells us, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible. And as Chalmers Smith contemplated the greatness of our God, he was moved by our God to write this hymn called Immortal Invisible. And as he did so, he reflected on the character of God, which we have just discussed. And he uses an illustration of the character of our God of light. So he, he brings together this concept of light and, and brings it into our understanding of the character of our God. And then in this hymn, he also talks about the work of God. So he wants us to be reminded of who God is and then how God works. That God is almighty. He is victorious. So in regard to who God is, the the hymn will say things like uh, that God is in light inaccessible. He is in a place that is inaccessible because of the greatness of the light. But God Himself is light. And that that light is silent. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about light being silent? You know, there isn't some great announcement other than the tuis and the other birds that suddenly it is day. Right? The sun doesn't come up with an alarm. It is silent. And our God can seem like He's silent to you. But He's not. He has spoken to us in His Word. And if you know Christ today, you know that He is confirming that Word through the Spirit that indwells you so that you will know more of your God and come back to praise your God. He also says that He is the Father of light. And at the last line of this that we'll look at in just a minute, that it is only the splendor of His light that hides Him from us. But then he wants us to not only know about the character of God, but he also wants us to see the, the great work of God. And so he says things like, in all life you live, or thou livest, the true life of all. That life he gives, that he works with goodness and love, that it is justice, his justice like mountains high soaring above. So here you go. Immortal. Invisible. God only wise. In light, inaccessible. Hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days. Almighty, victorious. Thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light nor wanting, nor wasting, Thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, high soaring above. Thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life Thou givest. To both great and small. In all life Thou livest the true life of all. We 
We blossom and flourish, Psalm 103, as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, Thine angels adore Thee, all veiling their sight. All laud, we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light that hideth Thee. That's a great capsulization of the, of the theology of Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 33. Helping us to know that the greatness of our God is at work. He is great and He is doing great things. You and I have every reason to praise and that is exactly where the psalmist goes. Having seen this, this call to praise God in the introduction, that it's, like a, it's a requirement that we praise God, you then get these reasons to praise God so that you're set up and you're going, right, I know now that I do have reason to praise God. I can think about His His Word. I can think about His will. I can think about His work. And so the psalmist provides for us the application and it is the response to praise in verses 20-22. to 22. You see, what happens here in verses 20-22 to 22 is, is he switches the pronouns. And for those of us that didn't major in English, that means he goes from talking about the third person God, who God is, and he suddenly begins to look at himself or us. And so he says, are, and he says, we. Look at it, verse 20. Our soul, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in You. Notice that in verse 20, the first response to praising God is waiting. Have you thought about that? That when God works in you to be reminded about who He is, you respond to that not only with singing and praise, but with waiting to see how His Word, His will, His work is going to happen. So that you can further praise your great God. Because He is your help and He is your shield. But secondly, he talks about trusting in God in verse 21. Look at our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. This is the response that you have when you begin to see God for who He is through His Word and see it work out in your life. You then respond with, yep, I know God is going to work. I know that I can trust Him. And it causes me to have this complete trust seeing that God will work according to His will in His time. And so He's left us then with one last. The thing that some of us need more than anything else today. Hope. That we could understand that this God who knows all things, who has all power and is everywhere ready to help you You can have every hope 
that He will do so. Is it going to be in my time? Oh no, don't forget what we already discovered. It's not about our time. It's not about our will. It's about His. But we can completely trust that it's going to happen. We can wait. And we can hope. Because our God is faithful. Look at verse 22. Let Your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in You. Well, I trust that Looking at this psalm causes you to have those reasons to praise. Causes you to come back to the place of lifting praise to God and responding to that praise with waiting on God, trusting in Him, and having a complete and absolute hope that God will do that which is best for me and for you. Because He's promised that that is what He does. He has given us the promise that He will always work in our lives in such a way that it will cause it to be the best and work out for His greater glory and for my becoming more Christ-like. So I wonder, what will He have you singing about in 2019? What's going to be? What do you think is going to happen that He's going to cause you to sing over? We sing because we reflect, meditate on God as He reveals Himself in His Word and His will carried out and in His work according to His character. We sing with joy, thanksgiving, and even volume. And we do it with excellence, with instruments, And with voice. And having praised Him, we respond with waiting, trusting, and hoping for God to continue that great work in our life. Father, thank You. Thank You that You are at work. Thank You that You are faithful. Thank You that You have all authority. You have all the strength. You have all the ability And that You are everywhere so that we can fully trust that You are going to work according to Your Word. That Your will will be revealed. And that Your work will be done in such a way that it will cause those of us who know Christ to become more like Christ. And it will be for the greater good and for Your ultimate glory. And so we say thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You gave us this psalm to remind us that we have reason to praise. Father, thank You that You have given us something to sing about. In Christ's name, Amen.